what's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you're a coach and you're listening to this, then I know you want to get better. And Stick and Ball is just for you. Check them out at stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app for weekly updated videos from some of the greatest softball and baseball coaches in the country. Today we have on Tom Marker, head baseball coach at Olentangy Orange High School. The 2021 season was the third as a head coach for Olentangy for Tom Marker. During his tenure, he has turned the pioneers into a state and district power, leading Orange to a number one state ranking and top 50 national ranking last season and his efforts have paid off in the win column and across the board as Prep Baseball Report has tabbed Orange as one of the top programs in the state in the final state poll rankings. Over the last seven seasons, he has led teams to five district final appearances, winning the district in 2021. He was also named the Ohio State Baseball Coach of the Year, Central District Baseball Coach of the Year, and Ohio Capital Conference Coach of the Year in 2021. So on the show, we dive in, what their off-season outline looks like. We talk about rules and standards and how we can be much more intentional with our time. This episode is so good with Tom Marker. Coach Marker, welcome to the show. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I'm excited to get to learn from you today. And with a lot of guests, I you know have some previous experience with. And with, with you, I know we've talked a little bit, but you know, I, I don't know a ton about you. And so I, that's that really excites me in a way that, you know, this is such an open book and open door conversation that I know I'm, I'm really excited about looking forward to it all week. Uh, so the first thing, I, I guess I want to rewind from to when you first got the job. And so my first question is always, you know, what did the vision look like? I think uh, for most of our guests, we, we, we can at least find different resources to help us through the interview process and, you know, with lots of prayer and and things like that, we decide whether or not we we you know make the jump to to be a head coach. But tell us about when you first accepted the job and like what your first one hundred days were like. What did your vision look like? What did you want to accomplish? What were some good things? What were some things that you would change? Anything and everything. I would love for you to just open that up for us and mm-hmm. uh, and and we'll roll from there. Um, yeah, Olentangy Orange is that's where I'm at now. It's my fourth stop as a head coach. So I started off in in a city league school, Independence High School in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, from there, I went to Bexley, and then which is which is also basically in Columbus, Ohio, and then Upper Arlington, and then here. As far as the first hundred days at Orange, um, you know, I, I was taking over a program that was in a really really good spot with a really. Um, really good head coach and, and Phil Callahan. So it wasn't as if I was coming in and a lot of people say, when you get a new job, you know, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to change the culture. I was just trying to sustain a lot of what they had done in the past and um, maybe put my own little spin on it, but there wasn't a whole lot to change in terms of, you know, the cultural things. Uh, the kids worked hard. They were in a really good spot in terms of knowing how to work. Um, good baseball people. He had a youth program established um, that we've just continued to try to build upon. So my first hundred days, I mean, I would say immediately just trying to connect with the kids. I think the relationships is a big, big piece of being successful and trying to get to know them on and off the field. Um, I know early on coach Zeb Schroeder, who's a football coach here, had me come talk to the football team. And that was really exciting for me just because I think, um, 
a football program kind of gets the year rolling. So the success of your football program and the success of your fall sports allows you to build on that in the winter and in the spring. So to get out there and get around those guys and then kind of watch them train. Um, and I was just trying to get, get around the team, but also get around um, the school and the community as much as I possibly could to get a feel for, you know, how I was going to blend my thoughts and blend my ideas into what they've already done successfully. So it was really just trying to get to know the, the, the dynamic of the community, I would say. No, I love hearing that. And you mentioned that you, you guys had a youth program. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So you'll see sometimes when we tweet, we'll say eight to 18. Uh, we have um, Orange Baseball Club is a, uh, say travel. I know travel is a loosely used term now as far as a, every summer team is considered a travel team, but um, it's a youth program. It's everywhere. We have two teams at eight, I think, two at nine, two at 10, two at 11. To a 12, 13, and 14, I think now. I think we even have two at 14. So, um, and basically, it's open to anybody in Olentangy School District. We have four high schools within our district. Um, we're one of the four, obviously. And, but we opened it up to anybody and just trying to develop, you know, these kids into one good people, but also good baseball players and just try to instill some of the values that we have. So, it's been really helpful as far as having that youth program and, and kind of, so put our vision into what they're doing and see if they can kind of, you know, develop these kids into where we want them to be in, in three, four, five, six years down the road. No, I love that. I love hearing that. And, you know, I've been uh, at some different high schools and I think that the lowest we lowest program we had or the, the youngest program we had was eighth grade. And it was really nice to just have them as eighth graders just to be able to continue to build upon that. And there's a, uh, I work with a guy who works at, used to work at Jinx High School. And they, you know, one of the top football programs in the country literally every year. And so I was like, what do they do? Like, what, what do they, what do they do successfully? You know, they've got a good blend of, of all, all types of kids from different backgrounds. And, and they had a coach who was, you know, national hall of fame coach that he unfortunately passed away after he resigned a couple of years ago. And then they had another guy take over. And so coach Farrell, who I work with said, man, they just, they get these kids in this youth program in like second grade and they just continue to build on top of that. So by the time they get them in high school, they're so immersed in the offense, they can just teach them how to play the game. So they don't have to teach them how to, you know, how to uh, learn different plays and how, you know, fundamentals of what their program is going to be about. It's just adding layers on top of that. And so I, I, I guess that piques my interest because I think that that's a really neat way to be able to build the culture, but also continue to add layers to, to what you were establishing early on. I think, I think it's really tough in baseball just because at least in central Ohio, there's so many options, right? And for some kids, the best option is to go out and play somewhere else. I think we provide a, a very a valuable experience with our youth program, but at times kids want to venture out. And so like Tom held, I know you've had him on the show a while back at defiance, all of his kids in the summer um, play for him, but they also, some of them play out as well on the weekends and he's in at Northwest Ohio. So there aren't as many options for kids, but in central Ohio there, I mean, there's 40 teams at each at each age level. So if you want to go play shortstop, you can go play shortstop. There will be a team for you to play on. Um, so we try to provide value. You know, I always tell the kids you can get baseball anywhere. And I tell our youth pro, uh, program coaches as well, you can teach baseball or a kid can go get baseball anywhere. What do we offer that has more value than just baseball? And we got to keep pointing back to that and making sure we're, we're teaching the kids the, the things that we want them to learn and we're providing value beyond baseball. 
Oh, for sure. I love that. So you get, I think it's really neat to hear that you did take a step back from the usual coaching stance of, Hey, we want to change the culture. You recognize that there were some really good things that were already in place. And again, that we talk about adding layers. I think that's really neat. Cause I think if you had come into a successful program and said, Hey, we're, you know, you want to put your stamp on it and with your personality, but also thinking, you know, did you take into to account, like, did you talk to the players about what they wanted to keep and different things that they wanted to do, the assistant coaches? I don't know if they stayed or if you had to have a whole new staff. So I'd love to hear your process with, with the people who had already been there, especially the players. Um, so Phil Callahan, who is a former head coach, he, he teaches seventh grade in the same building that I teach sixth grade. So I continually bounce ideas off of him and he's a huge resource for me. Matt Laddick was one of his assistant coaches really cool. and he's still our assistant coach now. Um, and then as far as the players go, um, I think we, we work so hard to give the players a voice that, um, and, and that comes through the, you know, building that trust, but the kids will tell you if, if you open the door and you allow them to have a, a conversation with you, I think they'll tell you when, when things aren't right. We, I send text to our players now all the time and I'll just say, hey, we're thinking about implementing this. What do you think? Or this didn't work. Why do you think it didn't work? I think kids, we say kids, but I mean, 16, 17, 18 year olds, they have a, a true understanding of a lot of things in life that as us as adults are still trying to figure out as it changes. So um, I give our guys a, a voice and, and our assistant coaches have a voice. And um, what, I, what I was happy, so happy about uh, Upper Arlington, I had a great coaching staff as well. But here, um, you know, Matt, I mentioned Matt Laddick. To me, he's like our head coach. So he's been a head coach before and um, he keeps me even at times I think I get up and down and, and he, he keeps me even and he does a really good job of that and um, as well as our players having voices our coaches have a voice you know and our guys will say no that's that's not right I don't think we should do it this way we we go back and forth on a ton of different things and again I think it's the fact that we we know we don't know everything as coaches just in our own group but we also know that the players can provide a lot of value if you allow them so um, no doubt you know we didn't change a lot we didn't change a lot so Oh, that's really cool. So let's uh, fast forward to, you know, this off season. Tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing uh, and just, you know, give us your time limit or time restrictions, limitations, and, and what you guys are making or how you guys are making the most out of it. Yeah. So in Ohio, um, once Labor Day concludes, we're allowed to do six on one. So six players to one coach, or it's really not six to one. It shouldn't be called six on ones. We call them six man workouts. So you can have six players. You can have as many coaches as you want, and you can do as many as of those as you would like. So you can go 30 minute sessions with six infielders, then six infielders and six infielders um, and break it up however you'd like. So in the past, um, once that Labor Day hit, we jumped right on it. We got right into, okay, we're going to do a six man infield at this time. We're going to go with six man outfield group here, six man and hitting group here um and this year we kind of dialed it back a little bit and changed the phases of our years so where you talk about like preseason and in season and postseason and summer league we talk about it more in uh phases as like our strength phase and our uh skill acquisition phase and our skill application phase and our competition phase so right now we're just towards the end of our strength phase where um we put a lot of emphasis on the weight room and just getting stronger you know as, as the cliche or the word or the saying goes you know uh strength is never a weakness so for us we're trying to get as strong as we possibly can uh right now we're, we're concluding that phase now and, and starting to move into um skill acquisition so 
in skill acquisition phase, what we're going to try to do, um, a lot of our guys return, which is, which is a huge benefit to us, but also with our incoming freshmen, just trying to get them to learn um, our system and how we go about our business and um, how we train infielders versus what we do in terms of hitting and um, just try to instill our philosophy. So I would say from now until um, right around winter break, it'll be huge on skill acquisition. And then um, we'll go into implementing and applying those skills that they learned um, into a more competitive environment. So we'll get into our hit league and um, more controlled bullpens and more competition phases and things along those lines, uh, gearing up for the season. So, um, but with the six, six on ones or people call them six on ones. I don't, I keep trying to you know, <laughs> no, out of my philosophy as well, but in our six player workouts, it's, it's really beneficial because it allows us to work with six players at a time. We do a lot of filming, we put it on huddle, we break it down. Um, and then we try to use that information to develop an ippy dippy for our guys, which is basically our individual player development plans where, um, it has strength goals and it has academic goals and it has, um, you know, if you go into the facility by yourself, here are the things I think you should work on uh, before you get back into a six-man workout. So that's kind of where we're at right now. But And then our mm-hmm. trials happen in February. Cool. You mentioned uh, off the mic that, you that one, you love teaching. And so I, I'm curious on the – whenever you introduce the different – you know, the system that you guys are trying to put into place, do you use a classroom setting to do that? Yeah, so we have um, – in our hitting facility, which just got finished, what uh, it'll be two years this February, there's a projection screen in there that we use daily. And then, um, so we, oh, I was just telling my math class about this the other day, but how important it is to film our trainings. So we film our, our trainings, our practices, and then we utilize that film to instruct the next day prior to training. And then also if we have to pull in, so for instance, I have a Google Sheet that has I don't know, I'd say 175, 200 resources that are linked to specific character traits or specific skills. So um, if we see where a kid may, um, I don't know, isn't showing respect for others or something along those lines, you can, you can just scroll through there and say, okay, respect. Here's a, here's a clip or an article or something along those lines, a resource that you could use to teach that. So we teach that in our, in our classroom. Um, and again, that's a lot of that's stolen from Corbs, but I think a lot of people do classroom sessions now, but that's a, that's a huge part of our day. And I was telling my sixth grade class, um, I go off on rants sometimes in there too. They probably get tired of it, but if if you thought about putting up a camera in a classroom and just film the day of a student and they, and they, you know, they get to an assessment, they don't do well on assessment, but then you bring back in that film from their training, you know, their training leading up to that assessment, how would they score themselves and does the does the score in the training match the score on the assessment? And so that's kind of where we are as a baseball program too. So I climb up on top of the backstop. I put an iPad up there. I film the training and then just ask the players, you know, is, is the grade that you would give yourself on that training, does it match, you know, the grade or the result we're getting in game situations? So, you know, we sure. had a kid last year and he wouldn't mind me sharing this, but Sam sells, who's a heck of a kid, a, a really good player. He's playing a, uh, college baseball now at Ohio Northern. Um, he struggled with some of the things early on in the season last year, just in terms of motor and, and uh, base running during on-field BP. And we showed him the clip, and he, he's a mature kid, very mature kid, and just owned it. And 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 from then on out, I, I felt like he trained as well or as hard as almost anybody. He was first-team all-district kid, led our team in hitting all the way till the last week of the season. Um, but, again, that was because of the emphasis we put on – 
the classroom and, and pulling this thing. But again, it goes back to trust too. You can't put film of guys failing up in front of their peers unless you have that trust built in. And so, you know, sure. kind of what happens in that classroom is, is very, it's an intimate place and it's, it's, you know, a, a place where they should feel, you know, safe to share things. No doubt. No, I love that. So I'm, I'm thinking about how daunting of a task that would be uh, to film every practice and then cut it up. So can you give me some tips on you know, what, how you've streamlined it? Yeah. So I, I don't know if Chuck box or Butch or some, some, one of those guys talks about writing down in their note card, you know, times when, when something would happen in a training environment. So you may have a note card in your back pocket and um, a kid misplays a fly ball in right field and it's uh, 422. So you write a note card 422 miss fly ball or something along those lines. So that when you go back to the huddle film, it's easy to find that clip. So I think just having that note card where you could chop it up. Um, we're also lucky. And um, we had a staff member last year, Abby Finch, who's now a freshman at Charleston. She was our, we, ha- we didn't have a great title for her. Originally it was like director of uh, data analytics, but I think she's more director of baseball ops for us. And she would cut up our huddle film from our six mans. And so if, if you're Matt Wolf, our shortstop, and you went into huddle and clicked on your name, you would see every ball that you fielded in, in training, every swing that you That's took. Um, and she would just cut that up for us and put it in there. So um, I just think finding people – like I have a sixth grader that's going to start with us this year. And then another kid that's a sophomore. Um, they're both going to do that work for us this year in terms of cutting up film. And um, again, it's just, it's just, as you, I'm not going to sit down and watch a two hour training session, but if I know it's right. 42, I need to cut that one. Or if I remember an instance within training, um, I'll pull that stuff. But that's kind of like where my morning work comes in, you know, mm-hmm. uh, people laugh and they say, Oh, you get up really early and it, you think you're tough cause you don't sleep. And it's, it's not that from three to about, five or from four to five, just depending on the day, I usually am watching that film um, during season. So we film all of our games as well. And just looking for that edge. Oh, cool. That's really neat. I've, I've thought about doing that idea. And then you, you think about, well, you know, high school coaches don't necessarily have an analytics program and <laughs> we all have to teach full time. And, mm-hmm. and so it's just any, any ways that we can do a better job of that. Uh, it sounds like her, what was her name? Abby. It sounds like you're going to yeah. miss her big time this year. She got a baseball scholarship to Charleston too. I'm so not surprised. That's awesome. To do that. Uh, we have another kid that was a second baseman for us last year. He's um, he's at Syracuse and he just texted me today and was talking about this data analytics stuff he's doing there. So they're really big into sports analytics. That's awesome. so that if you catch one nugget that you can steal and bring back to our program, I need it. So I think mm-hmm. there's plenty of kids that want to do it. Like I said, this sixth grader in my class, he's, He's phenomenal. I think he's going to be really good at what he does. And we were talking about Rapsodo data. And he's has a very analytical mind. And um, I think there's plenty of people out there. Uh, you just got to find them, I think. But I think they're everywhere, high schools and, and middle schools. Well, I think, you know, it's it's an industry that's going to be continuing to grow, whether it's in baseball or not. Just the the analytics and coding and all of that is mm-hmm. is real world experience versus, you know, the classes that you take uh, during the day, which I think could set them apart. I, I love that idea. Absolutely. So, you know, the next thing I think that people like to uh, try and get an idea of, of who you are and, and the type of program you run, uh, obviously really well thought out. So I'd love to hear, you know, your standard, standards and rules. And then uh, I think the, the next question is, you know, how, how do you handle the situation when someone doesn't uphold that? Um, 
So, yeah, you know, they, there's no rules. There's just standards or things like that. Sure. I would yeah. say our biggest thing is the communication piece. Um, and then that, again, that comes with trust and it comes with giving the kids a voice. But um, with any of our trainings, like I see some people will say, you know, this kid's five for five at off season trainings or 10 for 10 or whatever. I'd like to think that 95% of our guys are a hundred percent at off season workouts, unless there's a valid uh, reason. And, and what we tell our guys is you can miss for any reason. You just have to communicate with us. So, and we always talk about like gap closing and gap extending, like every day. That's, that's one thing that's going to happen is either a gap's going to close if you're below somebody in skill set level or whatever, or it's going to extend. But as far as our standards and things go, it's, it's just big on communication. And so if a kid doesn't communicate, I'm going to communicate with them immediately and just check in and see what's going on. There's just so many things going on in kids' lives now but I don't want them to lose sight of the importance of communicating with their coaches or their teachers. And I have three kids myself and I talk to my daughter all the time, the importance of communication. So uh, we haven't, I don't knock on wood. I just don't think we run into a lot of issues where it's like this kid needs to be reprimanded or this kid needs to be uh, suspended. And again, there are times obviously, but it's, it's pretty, it's pretty known that, if a kid were to miss something or to do, we're going to have a conversation. We're going to talk about it. And again, my first year, it wasn't that easy because I didn't have that trust. I didn't have those relationships, but now, you know, if a kid were to miss something, I would just text and say, hey, what's going on? Where were you? Um, talk me through it. I may call them. I may stop them in the hallway at the high school. Uh, but we just, we don't run into too many things. I think again, because the, the standard's been set, I guess you could say. So if you want to talk about standards, Phil Callahan put it in place when he was the head coach here. We had a really good group of seniors my first year. Um, and then this past year where we were really successful was we had a lot of good leaders and a lot of good kids that just bought into what we were doing. So well, I don't get into too much. Like, again, our, our you know, people have their core values, but our main, main thing that we talk to our kids all the time is, is communication. Just communicate as often as you possibly can. Sure. Speak your mind. Be, be comfortable talking to your teachers with your parents with, with your coaches and just and with your teammates so well it sounds like to me that you model that by asking them to take ownership and part of the program as well absolutely absolutely cool so you know <laughs> I, I i love that uh the it sounds like you you put a lot of effort into uh, getting everyone uh rowing in the same direction and obviously Obviously, that to me, it sounds like a player's coach in the best sense of the word. And you're uh, giving them opportunities for communication. We talk, you know, you hear 100 coaches talk and they all, they all in one way or another uh, talk about how they want kids to communicate, but don't necessarily give them those opportunities. And so I think that that's that's really neat. Uh, but I, I'd love to hear, you know, you you talk about communication with parents. And that's, you know, something that for colleges they may have to deal with uh, some, too. And then pro ball is no, not at all. But uh, with high school coaches, you know, we we are still dealing with teenagers who are living at home with their parents. And so I'd love to hear uh, how you communicate with them, how you get on the same page and how you get everybody, you know, rowing the boat, I guess. Yeah, this is um, probably a weakness of mine. I don't I think a lot of a lot of parents will say I'm standoffish. I think that I think that would if you surveyed the majority of them, that's probably what they would say. And it's not so much that I always say I, I work for the kids. And so if you can do what's best for kids, you'll never get yourself in trouble. And and so for me, if they're taking that message home and, and we talk to the players all the time, we have what we call transparency meeting. 
with the players and we'll talk to them about their roles or about where they're at. And we do those quarterly. So we'll have about four throughout the year and just say, here's where you are now. Here's where we see you in February. or Here's where we see you during the season. Um, please take that message home to your parents and have that conversation. Uh, but as far as having direct conversations with parents, I don't have a lot. We have very supportive parents. We, I mean, they're willing to help us out in any, any way possible, but usually the communication goes from me to the kids, to the parents. Um, and obviously, if it's something major, we've had we've had really good conversations this off season, you know, just with COVID and things. I think people are in a different space mentally, um, and so sometimes we'll have a parent reach out and just say, "Can you check in on my kid?" Or, um, you know, uh, Johnny's struggling with this class. Can you check in on him? Or, or something along those lines, or weightlifting, or whatever the case may be. But I don't have a ton of conversations with parents. And it's not that I'm standoffish. I know, I know they probably feel that way at times, but it's it's more so I don't. Even in the classroom, I'm probably the worst when it comes to stepping out of my classroom and collaborating. And it's not because I don't want to collaborate. Like I actually love reading and listening and, and, and I listen to podcasts all the time and, and learning from others. Um, but I put the majority of my energy into the kids in the classroom or into my baseball team with, with the guys. And so um, I think the innocence of, of a sixth grade student and just how um, they – are willing to work and, and, and care about you. And mm-hmm. um, where I think as we, when we get into adult spaces, it's not always that way. I think there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes on with adults that I'm like, man, I just, I'd rather not be involved in that. So, and not that our parents, sure. that it's just, I, I haven't had, I haven't found a need to have regular conversations with parents and sure. not that I don't want to, because I'm a parent myself, but I think our kids do such a good job and that's part of teaching them communication is saying, listen, go mm-hmm. home and talk to your parents about this situation. Talk to them about your role. Talk to them about how you feel about the team because, you know, I'm sure you've gotten the email where it's a parent saying, um, Billy doesn't know that I'm emailing you, but, you know, and so yeah. my thought always sure. is like, tell Billy, like have a conversation. Yeah. He loves his role or he, you know what I mean? We'll talk. I, I, I could share, I, I have a bunch of these text messages that I screenshot and I put in our classroom sessions and I won't use them until the kids are gone, but their names are taken out of them. But there was one last year where I said, um, said to a kid, I said, you know, I know you're not getting a ton of reps. Stick with us. You're doing great things. You're bringing a ton of value to our team. Um, I care about you a lot and this and that. And he, and he replied back and said, coach, I'm loving what's going on. You don't have to apologize to me. You talk to me all the time. You're transparent with me. It's a kid that lifted with me before school every day, even during the season. Mm-hmm. And he didn't play a lot and he still talks to me. We talk all the time. And so if he, and he was taking that message home to his parents because his parents never talked about playing time because he understood first. So I think the main thing is communicating really well with your players. Mm-hmm. Then I think that alleviates a lot of the communication that, does or does not need to happen with the parents no and i you know i want to highlight that too because i think you know when we get into trouble i again all transparency aside i have never been a head coach and so i i i prepare and i start to try and notice things that i would do as a head coach i think that's what assistants should do uh but i also so i see the kids that we have the most trouble with are the ones that feel like we have given up on them almost Mm -hmm. and so you just sending that one text uh, lets him know, Hey, I'm, I'm checking in on you. Like your value is not completely based on how much playing time that you, you get and you are valuable to our team. And you're telling him that it makes him feel valued. So where he doesn't go home and then potentially whenever mom and dad are saying, Hey, you're not playing and they're putting their value in how much playing time that, that he's getting, then, you know, then it just snowballs. And that's when I think we all get into trouble and and we may deal with those parents or may not ever deal with those parents. But I think that that's a huge thing that, that I wanted to highlight that you're doing. And I think that that's awesome uh, to be able to do that. 
Yeah, and those transparency meetings that I mentioned before and mm-hmm. Matt and of our system, we have those, like I said, four times a year. And we sit down with the players and we say, here's where you're at. What do you think about this? What are your goals? Where do you see yourself? Here's where we see you right now. It doesn't mean it has to be that way. but Because we used to get to tryouts in February and a kid wouldn't make the roster and they seemed shocked. And that's not fair to a kid just to be blindsided by that. You know what I mean? Somebody goes, well, a kid should know. He knows if he's not winning. No, he doesn't. And so you need to talk to him. You need to have those conversations and just say, listen, you know, right now you're behind six guys fighting for four spots. And, um, you know, you've got to pick it up in the weight room. Don't tell them a week before this. That's like like with grades, right? Like you give a student a, a no grades, no grades, and then give them a failing grade like two weeks before, or not even two two days before the semester ends. Well, I didn't, you, you gave me no opportunities to show what I know. You never told me what I was missing out on. So transparency meetings are gigantic. No, that's really good. And so, you know, one thing that I wanted to ask in regards to that is how do we do those efficiently? Because you're thinking, I'm thinking, okay, so if I was the head coach at the high school where I'm at, mm-hmm. I've got, we would have 56 guys. Yeah. And so how do we do that in a way that is efficient, but it's also worthwhile to them to be able to be a part of it? Yeah, I think, I mean, you guys said it was, <laughs> you're going to have to set aside three days, right? And that's what we do. So, um, three Great to four per, per session. Uh, we do them in the summertime. So if we're, let's say we're collecting uniforms, that could be a day that we're going to do transparency meetings. So we, we give collection of uniforms and we put them in every four to six minute windows and do them over a few days. Um, when we were during COVID times, we did them on, on zoom. Uh, I liked that because I thought it was an opportunity for us to, um, to film those and kind of go back and make sure we were communicating properly and, and just check our use of language and things along those lines, not, not bad language, but just how we, how we communicated. Um, but also I think, yeah, you have to set apart the time. I mean, for us, it's, it's 60, it's roughly 60 right now. Um, when we have tryouts, we meet with every single player. Um, and that takes a full day, not a full day, but a full sure. afternoon to go through. Yeah. But I think the values there is just, it, it's, it's important enough for us where we can set apart three days. Um, mm-hmm. We have our next set coming up here pretty soon, and um, we're just going to have to map it out and have the time to put it in and, and, and get it done and just kind of talk to the kids about where we're at and where they think they are and how everything's going. It's, it's a good check-in point. Yeah, no doubt. I, I really like that idea. And you, know, you mentioned Zoom, just talking about how do my facial expressions, how, how are they expressed? I can go back and look. And my wife, who's an instructional coach, she said, hey, have you ever – watched yourself on film i was like no i don't like it kind of scares me too i don't know an efficient way to be able to do that but she she said man you want to talk about coach improvement and they do it for teaching and i was like man like i would love to be able to do something like that and that that could be maybe even just step one of how do i deliver news whether good or bad and what does that look like how is my tone what do my facial expressions look like you know but i she has pushed me in that direction i don't know how or when I'm going to do that. But I, I think that that's something that's necessary of, you know, even just body language and posture. Vitally important. Like and that's something we see in our training environment. When we watch those films, uh, Mike Deegan once talked to me about uh, Mike and myself or miking yourself during practice, just to see if the, like, are you doing the majority of the talking? Or are you letting the kids talk during an instructional period? Um, what's going on during that time. I think it's, it's important. Again, I, I think it was 2015 or 2016. I had a kid call me out on my body language at third base, uh, Brandon Horsley, a kid that played for me over Arlington. And he was right. I mean, he was dead on, but again, trust, right. I mean, trust. And I I talked to the kids, I think it was, it was 2019. I talked to them about playing with emotion versus playing emotional baseball and just Mm -hmm. how we have to, you know, we have to maintain 
are even keel as much as possible. Don't get overly emotional. I want you to play with emotion. Don't get emotional. And we end up losing a, a pretty big game. I don't know, maybe a week and a half, two weeks later. I lost it on the guys after the game. And again, first year coach of this at Olin Tangy Orange. And one of our seniors texted me that night and goes, coach, was that speech you gave? Was it, uh, did you say it with emotion or were you being emotional? <laughs> and, and he was dead on. But the coolest part about all that was, at least in my mind, was he trusted me enough or was confident enough in himself just to say, coach, you're wrong. Like you were wrong. And here's what happened. So I talked to the team the next day and apologized and told him, you know, I was a little upset with the way we performed, but I, I was emotional and I didn't, yeah. uh, didn't handle it the right way. So, uh, but yeah, there's trust, there's transparency means that's where that trust is formed. So. Sure. No, I, I listen to that and I, I, I think of, man, that's, that would be tough to take, but when we talk about giving feedback and feedback is a gift, I mean, what, especially for you being the head of the program, when you get feedback from players that are working for you and with you, man, that's like, so I, I want to know like what, when we talk about culture, I think we think uh, we, a lot of people will can see it or can feel it when they're in it. But I want to know, how do you, how do you build a culture on a daily basis? And what are just some different things that you do on transparency meetings? Big one, communication, big one. Uh, anything else you want to add to that? No, as far as that, I would say you, you have to be very intentional, very intentional. And, and you have to value the time of your players and the time of the people within your program, whether it's your players or coaches. Um, so my hope is that our guys are never like, man, I have to go to baseball today or I have to, you know, same thing with my math class. I never want a kid to say, man, I have to go to math class today. Uh, so you have to be very intentional. You have to be very like don't have activities in a classroom or drills in a setting that aren't geared towards a desired result. And I think kids, both students and players can see through, you know, fluffy programming of training sessions or fluffy program programming of lesson plans. And so um, culture, I mean, for us, it's just, I would say if somebody were on the outside looking in, and I think the UMass hockey coach said this, you know, you have a good culture when other teams talk about it, right? So if, if it's a post-game conversation and the other team's mentioning how um, attention to detail you are, or how focused your team is, or how much enjoyment they have in playing the game or something along those lines, and you know, your culture is right. Um, and so for us, I hope teams on the outside looking in say, you know, these guys, they really pay attention to detail. They care about one another. Um, and they have a lot of fun at doing what they do. I think mm -hmm. some, some people may, you're not going to get that from everybody. Some people may look from the outside looking in and, and, and not really respect what you do. Um, but for us, I think just being intentional about what we do day in and day out and, and mm -hmm. really having a plan for what we're trying to get done is, is what helps our culture. No, you, you mentioned, I, I love that, but you also mentioned the UMass hockey coach. I heard him on a podcast the other day. That was, I, I think Michael Deegan, who you mentioned, I think he sent it out in his, in his Monday email mm -hmm. and I listened to it. I, I've at least listened to it three or four times. So I may even put that down in the resources. That's, that's unbelievable. Are you, are you familiar with, with the guy or is that, that where you heard that it? Podcast, same podcast. Yeah. yeah oh, I mean, man, I so out so some principles and some assistant principles in the area after I heard it. And I was like, man, this is, it's, it was so good. So good. Cause I think mm -hmm. about like when I watch teams play in our area, so we always ask our players and our coaches will say like, what's something we do not better than 90% of other teams in the area. And then we flip that and say, okay, what's something we do worse than 90% of teams in our area. And then when we can identify that to us, that's where opportunity is. Right. And so then we look for the low hanging fruit. And so for me, like when I watch Hilliard Davidson football, 
um, in years past when Brian White was the head coach, you knew what you were getting. You knew it was going to be a tough, uh, run-heavy offense. It was going to punch you in the face. That's just how they played. When you go play on Tangy Liberty in baseball, they're going to play very fast. They're going to run the bases very well. Um, they're going to put a lot of pressure on teams. They're just really well coached. And so for me, that's, that's where that growth happens. And that's how you can refine your culture too, is look at what others do. Look at the way they play the game or the way they train or what they do in the off season, and then just steal as many ideas and, and mold that into what you want to be as a program, you know, and sometimes I'll watch a program train and I'm like, well, we don't want to be like that. And that's fine too. You know, maybe that's their style. But for us, um, I just try to look at things that programs do find out why it's successful and how they make it successful, and then see if we can blend it into what we do on a daily basis. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review wherever you are listening. I also wanted to remind you that you can find the video portion at the AOTC channel on stickandball.tv. Have a great week.